Amen, amen. Well, well, welcome, whether you're watching online or you're in the lobby or you're in here. And if this is your first Sunday with Two Cities Church, you came on a great Sunday. This is a great day to be new. We're launching a new series and everything connected with it. And if you're new, you may not know this, every time you come here, you don't get a 67-page book, okay? <laughs> when you came in here, this was on your seat. Inside of it's a commitment card. I wanna tell you just for a few minutes uh, what, what we're doing here, and I'm really excited about it. So what is this booklet? Well, I just want to thank our staff because they spent weeks and weeks and weeks putting this booklet together, and it's got two things in. One, one it's got all the details, okay? So, so the, the, there's a lot of things I'm not even going to be able to talk about. Like, I'm going to talk about the forward initiative and what we're doing and where we're going every time I get up here for the next five weeks. But I can't share with you everything, and I can't answer all your questions, but hopefully that book does. It's got diagrams. It's got pictures. By the way, my favorite picture in there is a picture of a dad who came to Christ, and he's hugging his two sons who just came to Christ, one's in high school, one's in middle school, and it's after all three of them just got baptized in our church. And if you wanna go, what are we about? That's it, that's the bullseye, that's the end zone, that's the goal, transformed and changed lives. So half of that book is details, and I hope you, you, you'll love it, okay? It's, it's full of narratives and numbers and stats and stories and all that, you'll love that. Um, the second part of it is, so think first part devotional, second part, or sorry, first part detail, second part devotional. So about half of that book is to help you go further uh, faster. Uh, half of that book is to help you personally grow deeper, wider, and stronger as an individual or as a couple or as a family. Uh, all of the text, all of the titles, all of the topics for all of the sermons in this entire series are written down in that book for you. There's a place if you want to, you don't have to. You could take notes in that book uh, every Sunday or, or Saturday that you're here. You can take notes. Uh, secondly, uh, it's got a, a weekly guide. So six days a week, we put together scriptures that are going to supplement what we're teaching here on during the weekend for you and your family. So I hope you'll enjoy that booklet. I hope you'll take it with you. I hope you'll you know just bring that as part of our journey together in this forward series. Secondly, is the commitment card. We're going to talk about this every week, uh, but it, it's a, and Pastor Dave will talk more about it at the end. But but it just reminds us. I want to remind us of our two goals. The first goal is 100% participation. That everybody who calls Two Cities Church home would God would do something in their heart, right? That really this series is about you moving forward in faith and that touching your finances. That's it. You move forward in faith, it touches your finances. You respond, and we're asking people to give a one-time gift above normal tithes and offerings. And we want 100% participation. Here's what we don't want to have happen. I don't want to be in this building. You don't want to be in this building um, two years from now. We're in the brand new building. The Lord's saving people. Uh, you know, we're worshiping. People are being baptized. Churches are being planted. Mission partnerships are happening. And you've got to look over at your spouse and go, we were not a part of this. We, it passed us. The moment to invest in the future of the kingdom of God through this local church, it's over. We missed that window of opportunity. We don't want that to happen with anyone. Secondly, we have a goal to raise $2 million in one-time gifts above and beyond normal tithes and offerings by the end of 2021. Now, when, when I say $2 million, does that sound like a lot of money? It, yeah, the answer is yes, it's a lot of money, okay? Um, but I've seen God go ahead of us. You know, this is amazing. I just have watched God go ahead of us. Let, let me tell you what happened. So we, we had a room about this size. We had all of our members in here. We told them about a month ago, we told them, hey guys, this is what we're doing. They voted basically unanimously. Let's go do this. Well, I'm always usually, you know, I'm extroverted. I'm talking to people. I'm usually one of the last people to leave. So I'm walking out of this building and there's a guy waiting for me right after the members meeting, a member of our church. He looks at me, smiles, and he says, I'm ready. And I said, well, I'm ready too. I didn't, know, I didn't know what he meant. I said, I'm ready too. And, he's, and he pulls out a check out of his pocket. I'm like, oh, wow. 
And, you know, I'm so against manipulating. I, hey, why don't you write that letter? No, I want to write this right now. So he starts to write it, and then I'm like, do you look at it while he writes? Do you not look at it? I didn't look. You know, I looked away. Um, he writes the check. He gives it to me. And, and I, what I end up finding out, and this is what happens with everybody, is that this church had helped him go forward in lots of different ways. It had touched him, his life. And now the response is he gives this check. Well, he, he walks away, and I open up, and it's for $2,500. And I think, man, I think this is the biggest gift, one-time gift that this guy has ever given to the kingdom of God. And it's such an honor that he would trust us with this. Well, the next week, Pastor Dave says, guys, we got a handwritten letter sent to our church. Now, whenever you get a handwritten letter, you normally think, who got kidnapped? You know, normally. <laughs> but th <laughs> thankfully, no one had gotten kidnapped. This was a good letter. And by the way, this letter was all about, hey, you've helped my son go forward. I might get emotional. Hey, you know, my family's going forward. And in close, you'll find a $25,000 check for this building initiative. We're very excited about it. I thought, wow, this guy and his family went forward. It touched their finances, and they gave, even before the initiative had launched. And then I was, at, I was at lunch with this couple that I'm just getting to know. And they're a great couple, and, they, and we're, I have no agenda for this lunch. We're just getting to know them. And the wife says to the husband while we're at lunch, she says, ask Kyle about the building. And I had this, you know, you always can only have like one or two thoughts at a time, but I'm thinking, what's going on here? So I said, I just said, well, you know, here's it. And I told him what you saw in the video. Hey, we're excited about it. It's a means to an end. We feel like the Lord, it's, with fear and trembling, we feel humble that God opened up eight and a half acres in 2021 in downtown we're just really, really humbled by it. And uh, you gave them all the details. And, and then they said, I wasn't planning on this. They said, we have a huge passion for projects. And I'm like, well, okay. And they said, we actually really like investing. That's a great word for what we do here. We like investing in projects that we believe are going to bring people to Jesus. And they said, so we'd like to give a lead gift of $250,000 to this initiative. That's what I said. <laughs> Actually, what I said, I was overwhelmed at first. I'm still overwhelmed because, by the way, that's the size of our first annual budget when we moved here. That was the size of the initiative that got us in this building. And so I'm overwhelmed. And so then I said, oh, guys, because I feel this responsibility. You know, I'm the face of this. I, I, I'm leading all this. I, so I said, guys, I want you to know, for me, I'm going to give. And I started crying. Margie and I are going to give our largest gift. So, full disclosure, it's not going to be $250,000. <laughs> But I, but I felt called up, and it was a reminder to me, wait a second, this is, this is not about equal amount of money. This is about equal sacrifice. And, and you know, if you think about it, you go, wow, do you, do you see what's going on here? 2,500, 25,000, 250,000, what's missing? 2.5 million? <laughs> if you're watching online, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we might have that happen, you know? But I thought, I thought, how many of us would it be a big deal if our kids gave $2.50? You know, that might be half of what they have in their piggy bank. You know, or, or if the single mom, I'm making this up, but a single mom says, you know what, I'm going to give $250, and I'm going to really feel that. But that's going to be a gift that's going to go above and beyond what I normally give. Guys, we, we are really excited about this season that we're entering into. It's a very special. This is only the second time we've ever done this. It's going to be November 20th and 21st. Pastor Dave will tell you more at the end. We're going to have a commitment Sunday. And it's going to be a visible moment in our church. We're going to come up, we're going to drop in our commitment cards, and it's going to be our way to say, Lord, this is our gift. We've gone forward, it's touched our finances, and we're believing this gift is going to help each individual Christian in our church go forward. So let's just take a moment and pray, and then we're going to dive in with the rest of our time today to Acts chapter 1. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the ways that you are just moving. I am just so humbled. I'm humbled by the, all, all the three stories that I just told. I'm humbled by there's many, many other stories that have already happened that I've not shared yet. 
Lord, I'm thankful that you've touched so many lives and people have taken the next step to go forward and say no to an addiction. Say yes to Christ. Forward and, and be converted and give, be born again. Forward and get baptized. Lord, I, I pray that you would use this series to just continually ask us, what is our first step and what is our next step? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you can type two, turn to Acts chapter one. I'm real excited about this series. We are going to be looking at the first church. Here's, we're asking this question, how did the first church move forward? And thank, thank the Lord, he gave us the book of Acts. Have you ever thought what you'd be missing if you didn't have the book of Acts? If we didn't have the book of Acts, we would not know, really, we'd have some things from Paul's letters and Peter's letters and John's letters, uh, but we would not know how the church moved forward. Now, the book of Acts, guess how much time it covers? We're not going to be able to even get through the whole book of Acts. We're going to just do the first six chapters. The, the book of Acts covers 30 years. And here's why I'm excited, because this initiative is going to, with the Ford Initiative and moving downtown and building this building, this is setting us up. It's giving us the foundation and the framework for 30 years of ministry and more in our city. And when I read the book of Acts, I'm like, all right, Lord, what miracles could you do? What, what people could you bring to faith in Christ? What churches and ministry uh, and global partnerships could, you, could we go out from that home and that hub? And so we're very, very excited about this. In fact, part of what I hope happens for all of us in this Ford Initiative is we stop thinking instantaneously and we start thinking generationally and we start thinking legacy and we start thinking lineage and we start thinking long-term. Do you know that there's a guy named Jonathan Edwards, very famous pastor, every morning, he, he lived in the 1700s, every morning it said he would wake up and he would pray for five generations of his family. I mean, I don't even know what that is. That's like your great, 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 great grandkids. And that was somebody, and it changes you. That's part of what it means to be mature. I think long-term, not just short-term. I think about others, not just myself. I don't think just about momentary decisions. I think about the next several decades. This book, this series is going to help us do that. Let's look at verse 1. Uh, Acts 1 says this, in the first book, that's the book of Luke. So Luke writes Acts. Follow me for a second. He was a doctor. Many of you are doctors. Uh, he was a doctor who also followed Paul along, did ministry and mission with Paul. Um, he actually writes more of the New Testament than anybody else. Uh, even though P Paul wrote more books, no one takes up more space in the New Testament than Luke with his two long books, Luke and Acts. So he says this, in the first book, O Theophilus. Now, we don't know exactly who Theophilus is. Here's our best guess. He was a generous, successful Christian businessman who funded the ministry of Paul and Luke. And this is a support letter going, this is what your gift fueled and funded. So he says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so here's what this is about. This series is about us following Jesus, right? Following Jesus as he leads us forward. Because look what the word says there. I, this, he goes, I'm gonna write, in the book of Luke, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and teach. What does that mean? That means the book of Acts is about what Jesus is still doing. Let me encourage you. Jesus had two ministries. This is helpful to know. He had an earthly ministry. It was actually only lasted three and a half years. And at the end of his earthly ministry, we'll talk about this next week because we'll, we'll see this in Acts chapter two, there's only 120 disciples. And it was an amazing earthly ministry, but just let's be honest, it was three and a half years and there was 120 people to show for it. So he, he has an earthly ministry for three and a half years with, that leads to 120 people coming to Christ and be a disciple. After that, he dies, rises from the dead. Now he's been having a heavenly ministry for 2,000 years by his spirit through his church where roughly somewhere, depending on how you count it, around 1 billion people on planet earth claim to worship Jesus. 
So what this, I want you to be super clear and understand this. There's two things this series is not, and I really mean this. I'm checking my motives all the time. This is not a generosity series. I'm not getting up here with a thermometer on this stage, okay? Um, this is a vision and values. This is a discipleship and mission series with a financial and generosity component. But even more important, because when you talk about going forward and you talk about taking your next step, I want to also be clear, this is not a self-help series. Not a, this is not do better, try harder. This is spirit, please help me series. This is save your help. This is spirit help series. And we have, here's what we want to see happen. This series, we called it forward, right? We were, I tell you all the time, I went to public high school. I have to keep things simple. One word, forward, okay? <laughs> forward, okay, I get it. Okay, so, um, and then here's the two things. We want the church to go forward and we want you to go forward. But we're actually in this series, I promise, we're more focused on you going forward. Everything's, I mean, that book's done. We believe God's already raised over 10% of the money. We're, we're gonna go forward as a church. We're excited. You can read about it in the book. We're going deeper, we're going wider, we're going stronger. I'm super pumped about it. But what I don't want you to do is be part of some church that's going forward while you're going backwards. I mean, seriously, this is, I really care about this. I want you guys, by the grace of God, to take your next step forward. And I actually believe that that's what strengthens the church, by the way. What strengthens the church is, it makes sense, right? What strengthens the church? Well, when all the individual Christians go forward, then the church naturally goes forward. I told you this earlier, but every person, this isn't about the money, but I know how this works. Every person who's given a gift so far said, it's because you helped me go forward. I didn't tell you this. The couple that gave the that quarter million dollar gift said, it meant a lot that you guys were open during COVID. We weren't going through a great season in that time, and we needed an, we needed an in-body church, and I needed to go somewhere and worship and be with my family. It's like, okay, well, I get it. You went forward. We helped. Thank, we played a small part helping you go forward. It touched your life. And when, it, when you go forward, it touches your finances. And that's what happened. Now, there's five areas I want you to think about going forward with us. Or, you, you know, you write them down, whatever everyone says. First, go forward in your faith, right? I mean, that's what we're really talking about. Whatever that looks like. You know, usually, that means, usually that means I need to get connected to God's word and God's people in a deeper way. I need to read my Bible more, right? I always get stuck in Leviticus. It's okay. <laughs> We're going to help you, you know? It, it might mean I need to pray more. You know, it's okay. Well, it's hard to pray by yourself. That's why God gave us each other. You know, it, it might need, a lot of times the issue in our faith is I need, there's, there's an issue that I've not been, that, I've not, that I need to confess, right? We believe here in privacy, not secrecy. Secrecy is nobody knows. Privacy is not everybody knows. A few people know that I trust. So some of you need to just go forward in your faith. Others of you need to go forward in your finances. And that is a part of it, right? And, and, and it, here's the principle of blessing. I believe in the principle of blessing. The principle, it's taught all through scripture. If you want God to bless something, you put him first in it. That's the principle of blessing. So you want God to bless your, your finances? You put him first in it. That's it. You say, Lord, here's what I'm doing. I'm gonna give you my first and my best and sometimes my only. That's the principle of blessing. I give God my first I give him my best. And in certain situations, because I feel moved, I actually give God my only. Because God gave his first, his best, and his only son. So that's the, the, the finances. It's like, guys, once you get those in order, once you realize I'm going to give first to honor God, I'm going to save second to be wise, I'm going to live off the rest and teach myself contentment. That's what I'm going to do. For some of you, it's food and fitness. I know, these are all going to be Fs. What did you expect, right? Um, but food and fitness, it's like, guys, this is, right? It, get, if you're going to just eat whatever you want to eat and drink whatever you're going to drink, then I, you need to have a conversation with your spouse that they're going to have to take care of you when you get older. Just tell them. Just say, I don't really care about this. I'm going to become a burden to you and the kids when I get older. I'm going to create undue medical bills. I'm going to make life more difficult, and I'm probably not going to be able to be an active mom or dad, certainly not an active grandma or grandpa, if I keep on this trajectory. That's why, by the way, getting in shape can be spiritual. 
if your motive is, I really want to be, I really want to invest in the next generation, right? You start thinking long-term. You start thinking legacy. You start thinking lineage. Uh, for some of you, it's about your future, right? You need to go forward into your future, right? Ask her out. Take a new job, right? Don't stay in the same job that you hate because I know what's going to happen in five years. Here's what's going to happen. You'll still hate that job and you'll be older. And that's not where you want to be. You don't want to hate the same job and be older. You'll be actually be less hireable for other jobs. What is the next step that you need to take in your future? Some of you, do you need to come into full-time ministry? Some of you, is God calling you onto the mission field? I don't know what God's calling you to. Is there a lot of people, as they head into retirement, could they give the first year, two years of their retirement to the mission field? We're asking college students to consider giving their first two years after college. Could you give your first two years after career? Something to pray about, something to think about. So you go forward in your faith. You go forward in your finances. You go forward with your future. You go forward with your family. And this is a big one for all of us, right? I mean, if, we're, if you're married, if you've got kids, it's like, let's admit it. There's some of you, and your marriage has been a four out of ten, as long as you can remember right? And it's just like, how do you go forward? It's like, well, here's what you do. Part of what you do, this is why I didn't get into this in the other services. I'm just thinking of this right now. But, you know, the church for, for, for thousands of years, well, hundreds of years, the church had a calendar that it tried to help people with. Hey, here's Pentecost. Here's Advent. Here's Lent. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Connect your personal calendar to our church calendar. Say, guys, this is it. You could say, because your wife's going to say, if you try to, you know, this happens, Wives don't mean, husbands will do the same thing. You're going to say, you're going to get excited and you're going to tell your, tell your wife or your wife will tell your husband, let's go forward. And they're going to say something like, we've tried this. You know, it doesn't work. We tried this last time. We went to counseling. And you're going to have to have this moment, no, 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 no this is different. Our whole, I get emotional, our whole church is going forward. We're going forward. There's a whole group of people here who's going to go forward with us. This is what we're doing. And so, this is what we want for you guys. We want you guys to have an experience where you go forward. Now, we can go forward only because Jesus went forward first, right? I was talking to someone um, after one of the services whose uh, mother-in-law is dying of dementia. And I just thought, okay, she's heading forward into death. What do you tell somebody? Because we're all going to die. We don't want to talk about that. But what do you tell somebody who's going forward into death? You tell them at least one thing. Jesus went forward there first. It's a very comforting thing. Jesus went to death and through death first for us. So this is not a self-help. This is a savior help. This is a spirit help. So I want you to look at verse two. Here's what happens next. Verse two, here's what he says. Jesus goes on. He says, until the day when he, Jesus, was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus lived his life the way that you're in, you and I are supposed to live our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus even did that after he was raised from the dead. You might think in his earthly ministry, he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. No, after he was raised from the dead, he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. To the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive. So the risen Christ presented himself alive. We're told in 1 Corinthians, he did this to over 500 people. To them, after his suffering by... Uh, by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And then look at this in verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So he cannot stop talking about the kingdom of God and the spirit of God, the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. 
He says this, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. That literally means immersed. You will be immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is a massive moment in human history or what theologians call this is a massive moment in redemptive history. And it may not be a big deal to you because maybe you know this already, but I want to slow down and tell us what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. Now, did they want to go back to Jerusalem? The answer is no. Jerusalem is where Jesus was wrongly accused, where he was crucified. It's where they're a minority. It's where they're going to be persecuted. They don't want to go back to Jerusalem. Jesus says, by the way, sometimes when you go forward, you have to do hard things that you don't want to do. He says, I need you to go back and I need you to wait. By the way, it's going to be 10 days. They don't know that. But in 10 days, the Holy Spirit's going to fall on them. And here's why Jerusalem, though, you may say. It's because Jerusalem is where the temple is. And where is the temple? The temple is where, up until this moment, the power and the presence of God was. And so this is such a, such a profound idea that shapes the whole book of Acts. Basically, if I could translate it, Jesus is saying to them, guys, the temple is about to transfer. That the power and the presence of God, historically, if you read the Old Testament, you found the power and presence of God two places. Boxes and buildings. The whole idea of the Ark of the Covenant, it's like the presence. It was like, don't touch it! Like there's a whole story of a guy touching it and dying. It's like the presence and power of God was in a box. And then, then the whole, what, what's this whole tabernacle and what's this whole temple and what's the whole synagogue stuff? It was this, oh, okay, the power and presence of God is in a building. And Jesus is gonna go, guys, it used to be that way. What I have done in my life, death, and resurrection by going forward first is so significant that the power and presence of God is no longer in boxes or in buildings, but is in believers. This is massive. Like, and, and I really wanna ask you this. You don't, don't answer out loud, but do you really believe that? Like, by the way, there is no JV versus varsity Christian. Every Christian gets immersed in the Holy Spirit at conversion. When you become a believer, that's when you're baptized into the Holy Spirit. And, you, and every believer, I don't want to preach next week's sermon, but in Acts chapter 2, it says the tongues of fire rested over each person's head. Why? It's every individual Christian fully gets the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say just the apostles got it. Every Christian gets it. And it's the Holy Spirit, we're going to see this in a few minutes, that gives us the power that we need to go forward. This is not do hard, do, do better, try harder. This is by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to do something. I want you to move forward. So, so they don't understand. Like, we don't understand, right? Look at verse 6. They ask questions. And I had a mentor who always told me that you can tell a lot about a person by the questions that they ask. They can say all the right things, but if you're around them enough, their questions will tell you what's really in their heart, right? So if I say, if I told the staff, guys, I really care about life change here. I really care about discipleship here. I really care about just seeing marriages reconciled and people taking their next step in faith. But then all of my questions are how many people came? How large was the attendance? It's like I'm telling on myself, right? I'm actually I'm saying this is the stated value, but this is the real value. The stated value is I want people's life changed, but all of my questions reveal that what I really care about is how many people are going to show up. This is why questions are important. So they asked this question. Look, look for six. So, so when they'd come together, this is the 12 disciples, they asked him, that's Jesus, they said, Lord, and this is their question, Lord, will you at this time, that's right now, immediately, will you restore the kingdom? Remember, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. They don't understand it rightly. He says, will you at this time 
restore the kingdom to Israel. So there, when you think of the kingdom of God, think about we're talking, it's connected and closely connected to just a basic understanding of the church and a basic understanding of Christianity. Here's what we know, and this is what we know from verse six. The early disciples didn't understand Christianity. And a lot of us don't understand Christianity, and it's revealed in the questions that we're asking. If the only questions we're asking about Christianity is, uh, what's in it for me? Which, by the way, verse 6 is all about what's in it for me. Verse 6 is their way to say, hey, could you, would you mind setting up something right here? They, they, thought, they thought two th- If you look at that verse carefully, they thought two things about it, about the kingdom of God that they were wrong. They thought, number one, they thought it was going to come immediately in its fullness. So he, he goes, will you right now? Or will you at this time, in this moment, will you restore the kingdom? And Jesus' answer is the kingdom of God doesn't go forward immediately. Uh, it goes forward incrementally. It doesn't happen over, overnight. It happens over time. The, let me encourage you, parents, friends, everybody, the way that kingdom, the kingdom of God goes forward, which, by the way, the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of Jesus in people's hearts. That's what happens. Every time a person believes in Christ, repents, and believes the gospel, he or she is born again, and they're born where? Their eyes are open spiritually. They're born, all of a sudden, they're in the kingdom of God. They go, whoa, my whole life's different. And the kingdom of God advances. And, and Jesus is going to say, he's going to give us a big vision, but he's going to go, guys, it happens incrementally. He says this, it happens one conversation at a time. It, one, you're like, what am I going to do with my son? One conversation at a time. It goes forward one prayer at a time. You're like, how many times can I pray for Bob to get saved? One prayer at a time. It, it goes forward one invitation at a time. Right? It, it goes for, forward one gospel presentation at a time. I had a guy this week, it was so encouraging, a friend of mine. He said, we're in this neighborhood. He, he, he doesn't live here, he lives in Raleigh. He said, I'm in this neighborhood. He said, my wife and I, we moved into this neighborhood. He said, there's all of these uh, couples on our street. He goes, they're big partiers. He said, so we went over to this party and he said, it was like kind of crazy. He said, we were there for a couple hours. He said, and I finally said to my wife, you gotta go. It's like three, you know, it's been like three hours. He said, we get home and my wife, we're in the kitchen and my wife looks at me and she goes, I did something at that party. <laughs> and he goes, what'd you do? She goes, I started talking to these four women and they invited me to play poker. <laughs> and he goes, what'd you say? She goes, I said, yeah. He said, he said, what's the buy-in? She said, $20. He said, okay. <laughs> and so she, 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 he tells the story. He said his wife started to go on Thursday nights with this, these four women in this neighborhood. None of these women are Christians. They're very worldly. He's telling us a story. You might go, why is he telling us a story? He, goes, I want, he was telling a few of us a story today. He goes, I want to tell you the story, guys, because that was eight weeks ago, and three of those women have come to faith in Christ. He said, and all of their husbands think they're in a cult. <laughs> he said, and the fourth woman is so close, and we're already having conversations about how to reach their husbands. Now, as you think about that story, forget the whole poker thing for just a moment. <laughs> Try to get over that if you can. But just, but just hear that that's how the gospel goes forward. We went to a party. I built a relationship. I was invited. I said yes. I shared the gospel. I actually believe that the Holy Spirit is still working. I believe Jesus is still doing what he already did in the past. So there's two things. One, they thought it was going to happen immediately. Secondly, they thought about it politically or territorially. They thought, okay, the kingdom of God's going to come. They still weren't thinking really that Jesus is going to be an earthly king. 
Now that he's risen from the dead, he's going to be an earthly king, and he's going to establish a political kingdom. And what they end up realizing, no, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that goes forward as we make disciples who make disciples. I mean, in fact, the kingdom question that we should ask, they don't ask the right question. The question that we should ask that gets us like on the right trajectory individually and as a church on how to move forward is, how do we make more and better disciples? That, that's the kingdom question. I, I, we want to make disciples, mobilize them for mission, and do it in an environment of prayer and worship. Well, well Jesus goes on. He has to correct them. If you look here, verse 7, he has to um, uh, give them a little feedback. Here's what he says. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know. In other words, I'm not going to tell you times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I mean, this is interesting to know. Jesus basically says there are certain things I'm just not going to answer. You're just not going to know. When is COVID going to be over? I'm not answering that, is what he's saying. You know, what's going on in China or Russia? I don't know. Is the persecution in America going to get worse? Who killed Jeffrey Epstein? (laughs) We're just not going to know on this side. What he's going to say is, instead, what I want you to do is I want you to focus on mission. Look at me at verse 8. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. But what, what does that mean to be a witness? It means I make the invisible kingdom visible by how I live and how I speak. Isn't that amazing? That'll get you up in the morning. What do you do? You exist to make the invisible God visible. What are you doing with your kids? You're trying to make the invisible God visible. What are you trying to do at work? At some level, you're trying to make the invisible God visible to people. So he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in verses seven and eight, this is so important. He's like, guys, before you get, you can't go forward if you're distracted. And they were, in other words, if the disciples, they were distracted, they were asking the wrong questions, they were focusing on the wrong areas, they were focusing on uh, things being political and things happening immediately. And he goes, guys, that's the wrong area. You're getting distracted and you're getting, you're drifting. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called mission drift. It happens to families. It happens to organizations. It happens to businesses. It happens to individuals, right? Mission drift happens every time somebody starts going to the gym on January 1st. And by the Super Bowl, they're not going to the gym anymore. That's mission drift, okay? Uh, That's mission creep. And so uh, he's saying, guys, you're getting distracted. And I, and I want to take a moment, and I think this would be appropriate. As we're talking about going forward, I want to talk for a few moments about how it's easy for Christians to get distracted. So, and some of the reasons that we drift and we get distracted, uh, or, it, or we're, we're drifting and we get distracted, and that's why we don't move forward. Let me give you five ways that Christians often uh, get distracted and start to drift. Uh, the first way that we get distracted and we start to drift is we focus more on attendance than on transformation. And I'm saying that's, I, I told you earlier a story about how it's easy for churches to do that, right? It's easy for churches to just go, what do we have to do to get as many people in here as possible? Do I need to water down the message? Do we need to shorten everything? Do we need to add a bunch of more programs? That, that's kind of the, and, and versus, guys, what we genuinely want is we want to be about transformation. And, and let me just tell you, individually as Christians, it's easy for you guys to settle for attendance, the longer you're a Christian, by the way, the more it's easy to settle as attendance. That's fine. I can go. It's only an hour. I can go. I can go and try to act like I'm not bored. I'll go, I'll go on Sunday or I'll go on Saturday. Or it's easy, it's easy to go, okay, I'm, uh, I'll show up at community group. If, if you've been doing this for a while, you're like, I can show up at community group. I just won't be honest. I won't really share. I'll, I won't drop my persona. I won't get to know anybody. 
I won't let him know my struggles, right? What, what, what will I do? I'll trade in attendance, and, and I'll, I'll be okay with attendance, and, and I won't actually get real transformation. Secondly, we settle for knowledge instead of obedience, right? This is a huge temptation. Uh, the longer somebody's a Christian, the more they are tempted to think they're mature because they know a lot of things. Or here's another way to say it. People think that because they have an insight, they've actually applied it. Oh, I understand it. I understand the seven things Paul tells husbands to do to wives. Yeah, but your marriage is horrible. You don't do any of them. I know all the verses on giving. I know the Greek word forgive, right? I know tithe means 10. I know all the festivals and feasts in the Old Testament and how much you're supposed to give to those. And I give nothing, right? This is, this is what tends to happen in our lives. We settle for knowledge. And all of a sudden, you're listening to all these podcasts. Some of you do this. You, you read so many blogs. You read so many books. You go to so many conferences. You are in so many Bible studies. And you're like, you're still struggling with the exact same things in the same way. Why? Because you have somehow thought the goal was knowledge. We're only as mature as, as what we're obeying in the scriptures. We're only as, you know, the, the maturity is I'm, I'm, everything that I know, I'm trying to live out and obey. Here's a third transition that we tend to make. We tend to settle for felt needs instead of forever needs. I mean, the church exists to deal with forever needs, ultimately. Heaven, hell, sin, salvation, eternity. We believe in forever needs. We also believe in felt needs, but the temptation is to focus on felt needs, right? And well, that makes sense, right? Because if you focus on felt needs, the city's gonna love you. If all we ever did was do felt needs, the city would think we're amazing. And we actually have the, the finances and the resources and the people to do that now. We could just do felt needs. We could just do soup kitchens and you know, building homes and clothing drives, and we'd be on the front of the Winston-Salem Journal if you only focus on felt needs. But as soon as you talk about forever needs, as soon as you say Christ had to die for your sin and you have to repent of it, Jesus is the only way to God. The cross tells you two things. It tells you how much God loves you and how much God hates sin. And you need to repent and believe in Jesus. As soon as you start talking about that, you're in the category of forever needs and not just in felt needs. Here's how it works. Here's how we know that felt needs are not as important as forever needs because Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Here's what that means. We don't wanna make people comfortable on their way to hell. What we want to do is we want to go, hey, listen, we've got to meet your felt needs because we need to tell you about your forever needs. That's how the church thinks about it. So it's like, okay, you're hungry, you're starving. That should never happen. And in fact, one of the great tragedies about being so hungry is you're not going to be able to focus on hearing the gospel. You're going to be thinking about your, your, how hungry you are. We can't have that. We got to, here's some bread, eat that. Okay, now let me tell you about the bread of life who came down from heaven. You're thirsty. There's not enough water. We're building wells where you are. But, but, okay, now that you've drank that water, let me tell you about the living water. Okay, you, there's foster care and there's adoption, great. Now let me tell you about how God has adopted us. That's how that works. Next is churches, uh, this is more with, particularly churches, we focus on collecting people instead of mobilizing them. And I've gotta be honest, you know, five years in, we're, I say this in all humility, but we're pretty good as a church at collecting people. It's easy, it's, you know, we have a fairly big front door, people come to our weekender, they get in our community groups, and it's okay to collect, but you collect not to keep. You collect to commission people back out. And so, and the final one is, um, is that we, we settle for events instead of really doing life together. 
And this is very common. Like, well, let me ask you, when you think about, you know, your investment and involvement at Two Cities Church, do you think I come to the 11 o'clock service on Sunday? Maybe I serve twice a month. Maybe if you're really committed here and I go to community group on Wednesday night at six. Well, what you're probably thinking, the natural tendency is to think about your time at church as event-based. About two or three times a week, I go to something with church. That's event-based. Or another way to say it is you think about your church in terms of time and place, not relationship and responsibility. You know, like I was just, last service, two of the people from our community group, you know, haven't been there the last few weeks, and I'm just talking to them. Hey, guys, what have you been doing? Where are you? Because to me, it's, the community group's way bigger than the, the two-hour window when we meet. It's, no, 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 I have a responsibility and a relationship with these people. I don't want to settle for events. I want to do life together. So Jesus says, guys, instead of all of this, instead of getting distraction, what, what, what gets you out of all of your distraction and all of your drifting is a bigger vision, right? This is what you guys need. We all need a bigger vision for our lives where everything else, our career and our finances and our marriage and our family and our kids, they all fit under that bigger vision, right? A lot of times when I see a family with a lot of problems and, and their kids are fighting with each other and they're fighting with their kids and their marriage is out of place and their finances are out of whack, you normally realize they have no bigger vision. They're fighting about every little thing in their house because they're, they're so selfish. They're so self-focused. Their world has collapsed to the size of their home. And they have no idea that there's a global God doing a global work all in our city, all in our nation, all in the world. That's what verse eight's about, guys. Verse eight is about Jesus's global vision. I mean, just so you know, Christianity is a horrible hobby. I would not recommend Christianity as a hobby. And there's a big difference between being a church goer, which is what some of you are, and being somebody who connects their life to a, to a local church so they can be a part of God's global purposes. That's what, that's what verse eight's about. Look at this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Well, where? Because every once in a while people go, well, where, where did you get this idea of local, national, and global ministry? Well, right out of this verse. This is the theme verse for the whole forward initiative. Uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, that's local. Judea, that's regional. Samaria, that's national. Ends of the earth, that's global. And so he says, okay, guys, this is it. Now, now let me explain you how we're doing this. Well, because every once in a while someone says something like this, why, why are you staying in downtown? I've had a few people ask me that. I mean, it's expensive to stay in downtown as a church. I mean, people are like, do you know that you could find a field in Yatkinville? <laughs> you could find a field in Pofftown? And this project might be a third as expensive? And for us, we just like, no, we actually feel committed to being downtown. It's kind of like there's that moment in the book of Acts, later in the book of Acts, where Paul could have gotten off. He's, a, he's you know, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul's in all these different trials. And Paul's in this one trial, and he says, I appeal to Caesar. And that's kind of what we did in, in, in getting eight and a half acres downtown. We said, we're, we appeal to Caesar. We're going to the center of things. We're going right where 40 and 52 come together. We're going to a place where there's density and diversity. We, we want to go to a place that's both under-resourced and up-and-coming, and we want to cement ourselves permanently in it. That's what we're hoping to do. And by the way, though, but it's only going to be as strong as you guys and me personally, individually, saying, I want to do ministry locally. I want to take personal responsibility for the lostness around me. I want to take personal responsibility for the great commission where I live, learn, work, and play. And then, by, then there's national, right? So it's like, why have we planted 10 churches in the first five years 
of, of our church. It's because we believe we love our nation. We love America. We want to see our nation come to faith in Christ. Do you know that we live in the greatest decline of Christianity in the history of our nation? Shame on us. We live in the most, it's hard to believe because we have technology and we have education. We live in the most biblically illiterate America that has ever existed and it's happening on our watch. And so what, what, how do Christians view America? Well, the job of Christians is not to save America. Now that may be something a political party wants to do. But the job of Christians is we want to save Americans. That's what we want to do. And we actually want to see people come to faith in Christ, and we believe every city needs more gospel, uh, good gospel churches. And so that's our strategy to reach our nation. Finally, globally, we're looking at more and more partnerships. We went to Mumbai because it was as far away as we could think of. <laughs> we're like, let's go as far away as possible, and we want to go everywhere else. We just established a partnership in Central Asia uh, that we're super excited about, and we're in conversations now for a partnership in Europe. And, and here's, here's, what I, here's what I would encourage you with to consider. And we don't know logistically. We're going to try to work all this out. There's a lot of people here. We want everybody in this church who calls Sioux City's church home, we want you guys over the next several years, we got to figure it all out. We want you guys to go on a short-term mission trip. A friend of mine calls a short-term mission trip a discipleship microwave. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that it is, I know, I know it's expensive and you got to raise support and you got to take vacation and, you know, you got to get a couple shots or, you know, malaria shot, whatever. It's like, but I'm just telling you, when you do these things, God just opens up your eyes. And everybody comes back and goes, the world is so much bigger. God is so much bigger. And so we have a local, national, and global vision of going forward. But we, we can't do this in our own strength. The vision is way too big. This is why, if you go to verse 8 one more time, I want us to, to see this. He says this, but you will receive power. That's the key word there. Power when the Holy Spirit, that's the person, has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses everywhere. What we need, guys, I keep saying this, not self-help, but spirit help. What we need is power. What I hope you experience, I can't do it for you, obviously. I hope you'll experience in this series is power. Now, what is power? Let me give you a definition. It's the supernatural strength to do what God has said. That's it. What would it look like if everybody in this room who was a Christian said, you know what, that's it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to ask God, because I know what his word says. Most of us know what the Bible says already. I'm going to ask God for the supernatural strength to do what God has said. Like I read the verse and it says, confess your sins to one another. I'm like, well, that's really clear. I can't really get around that. And I've been hiding this sin for such a long time. And I read the verse and it's, I'm really scared to do that. Okay, then what you need to do is you need to pray God, would you please give me the supernatural strength to do what you have said? You might go, okay, I read the Bible. It's very, very clear. I'm supposed to be a generous person. I'm supposed to give. God gave. God gave. We look at the creation. God is a generous God. I'm supposed to give. I give nothing. It's not a priority in my life. Okay, okay. God, would you give me the supernatural strength to be a generous person and to take my first step? I really believe in my experience, most people don't give, not because they're stingy, but because they're scared. They've never given before. And then they begin to give, and they begin to get a taste for it, and they say, okay, wow, this is, this is what it's like to live in the image of God. Some of you need to have hard conversations, right? Most of the time, what we need power for, really, I would say 90% of us need power to say something, 
to somebody that needs to be said. I need to, you know, I need to talk to my son about something, and I've been avoiding it. I need to call my prodigal daughter up. I've been avoiding and ignoring a conversation that I need to have. I need to talk to my dad at Thanksgiving about Christ. I'm scared. It's okay. Well, this is where you humble yourself and you go, God, you've written it down. You're, you love to bless what you have promised. And so what I do with power is I just say, power is unleashed and unlocked in your life when you believe the promises of God. That's it. Right? This is what we call faith. The Bible says the just will live by faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. Jesus says at one point, let it be done according to your faith. Which it's like, wow. You say, you get to choose. You get to choose. What are you going to believe that God has said and how are you going to take your next step? God, I'm so, some of you are so anxious, right? Like your whole life, all of your relationships, most of your job, it's defined by pleasing man and fear of man. And there's 365 times in the Bible where God says, don't fear, I'm with you. And, and could you say, by faith, I want to believe in the power of God and I want to take my next step forward. This is so important. And the time to do this, guys, is now. I'll show you this. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, Jesus says it. Verse 9, uh, he was lifted, and, and when Jesus had said these things, so these are his final words, guys. This is a massive mission. Then he leaves. They, they, as they were looking up, he was lifted up. And, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is his ascension. He goes into heaven. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These would be angels. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? It's like, well, the answer is like, well, because Jesus just went up there. <laughs> That's the answer. Uh, and the whole idea is, guys, it, it, it's time to get to work immediately. That's the whole idea here. Guys, staring into heaven and standing there is not going to bring Jesus back. We know there's only one thing that brings Jesus back, the completion of his worldwide mission. This is why I love hanging out with missionaries, because they're, the, in the best sense of the word, they're the craziest. And they love Jesus so much. And you're like, why are you in Mumbai? And it's like, well, because there's a people group here who doesn't know Jesus. And, G and, and Jesus says he's not coming back till all peoples hear about him. So then he says, this Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here's what he's saying. The time to do something is now. Right? What does the Bible say? Today, if you hear his voice, right? Today is the day of salvation. Here's why. You and I will do anything tomorrow. You'll eat healthy tomorrow, right? A lot of times, right? you, you'll repent of that sin after you indulge in that sin tonight. You'll repent of it tomorrow. The problem with you is today. The problem with me is today. What would it look like if during this series, we all just decided this is going to be a time of personal renewal, right? There's a difference between renewal and revival. Renewal happens to individuals. Revival happens to people as a group. Renewal can happen to you right now where you go, God, would you make the Bible real to me? Would you make the Bible clear to me? Could I read the same verses and then the familiar become fresh in my life? We see this happen all the time in our church. The Lord does personal renewal in someone's life. What we're praying is in this series, personal renewal happens that leads to public revival. God does something special in our church that affects our church and affects our city.
Because here's, here's the question that, that I'll leave you with that I've been asking myself this week. It's a convicting question. Every time I say it, I feel convicted. If there were more of you, would it matter? Like right now, today, if there was more of you in this church, would it make a difference? If there was more of you, would it matter? Or would you go, oh, here, here's what it would mean. More consumers. That's what I am. I'm a consumer, not a contributor. It would be more, more people who put up a persona and are not honest about anything. It'd be more people who are unrelational. It'd be more people who are, uh, they're bigger takers than they are givers. And I want to encourage you that that can change today. What you want to be able to say by the end of the series is it would matter. If there were more of me, this church would be more generous. If there were more of me, more people would be discipled. If there were more of me, more people would be getting baptized. More people would be coming to Christ. If there was more of me, marriages would be healthier in this, in this, in this church. Because I would, I would work on my marriage and I'd be available to talk to people to help about their marriage. Guys, life is short. We get eight or nine decades, that's it. You get one or two careers, you get one, two, three, four kids, and that's it. The most time wasted is the time getting started. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, asking him, what is our first step and what is our next step in moving forward? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our church. I want us to each answer that question. Would it matter if there's more of me? with yes. Lord, what are the steps that we need to take? Lord, in a room this size, I would just imagine there are so many areas, certainly at least one per person, where they would say, this is an area where I need power. I need the supernatural strength to do what you have said. Lord, we know what you've said. We know what you've said about our marriages. We know what you've said about our finances. We know what you've said about our families. We know what you've said about <laughs> making disciples who make disciples. We know what you said about heaven and hell and the need for the gospel to go forward, Lord. Would you give us the supernatural strength, Lord? Will we put our flag down and say, listen, our church said that we're going forward. I pray for some of you who it's not that you've been distracted, it's that I feel this, that you have been discouraged. You have been discouraged because you've tried to go forward before. And you failed, and it's okay because failure is part of going forward. We want to fail. If we fail, we want to fail fast. We want to fail forward. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace that when we do fail, we would repent. We'd get back up. We'd be like that with the man in Proverbs. It says, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up, Lord. Lord, help us to go forward. Help us to go forward together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.